All right, today we'll be reading from Psalm 149. Psalm 149 says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of, of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. This psalm calls us on calls on us to praise God for everything, which we are about to do. But before we do, let's recite the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
You be seated. Morning, long time no see. Now is the time in the service for communion. If you are a baptized believer, we invite you to take communion with us today. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26 says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. We thank you, Holy Father, for your holy name which you made to dwell in our hearts and for the knowledge and faith and immortality as you made known to us through Jesus, your servant. Glory to you, God, forever. You, Lord Almighty, created all things to show forth your name. You give, forth, you give both food and drink to man to enjoy an everlasting life through your servant. Above all, we thank you because you are mighty. Glory to you forever. Remember, Lord, your church to deliver her from evil and mature her in your love and gather her from the four winds separated into your kingdom, which you have made for, for her, because you have the power and glory forever. Let grace come, and this world pass away. Hosanna to the Son of David. If anyone is holy, let him come. If anyone is not, let, is not, let him repent. Marathana. Amen.
Now is the time in the service for announcements. Again, we'll say Happy Father's Day. Um, in the foyer on the counter, there is a bin for empty pill bottle collections. We give those over to Matthew 25, and they use them for um, shipment of medical supplies. They shred them. They use them for recycling. Um, so they do lots of things locally and globally. We also collect used ink cartridges, so help save on putting them in your trash and bring them here. <laughs> um, food pantry closed closets every Thursday from 5 to 7. If you have donations you'd like to drop off, we're taking in-season clothing um, and shoes. You can drop them off Thursdays 5 to 7 or Sundays after service. There's a list there of most frequently needed items. Refit is um, free dance fitness class on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, 6.30 to 7.30. Breakfast fellowship is the first Sunday of the month at 9.30. Breakfast is better when we eat together. It's a time to fellowship with one another before we have service. Food and fellowship, um, Wednesday, June 21st from 6 to 8. It's going to be right here in the sanctuary. Uh, the theme is your favorite food, so bring something you like in case someone else doesn't. You still have something you can eat. <laughs> um, last Saturday, we did the um, cookout at Lakeshore, and we had a great turnout. This Saturday, the 24th, we're going to have the free pancake day. So it's not just for Lakeshore. It just happens to be kind of in the heart of Goshen. It's very visible to the road. Um, if you see this on Facebook, please share it. We want to offer free pancakes, brunch to anyone who is wanting to just stop by. If you're wanting to serve, let us know. Um, it's going to be Saturday, June 24th from 11 until 1, right inside Lakeshore. Um, so we're um, partnering with Bluebird Bus of Hope. So if you see the big blue bus, that's where we'll be. Weekly budgets listed here and ministries you support through giving here at Heartland. Ways to give in person, online. You can mail a check also. Um, the Chosen is every Sunday evening. It's free community event, uh, 6.30 to 7.45 through July 9th. Free popcorn and drinks are provided. We will not be having it this evening, though, due to Father's Day. Um, before I forget, bulletins today do have a little outline, so be sure to get it, follow along, write some notes, prayer requests, things you would like to remember from today. Um, we do have July calendar out. If you have youth that you'd like to get involved for July, we do have the ARC encounter that we're um, planning for. It is free for the teens. So if you want them to get involved with that, um, there is a sign up at the welcome table. And um, this is now the time that we're going to have the kiddos go downstairs for Kids on the Hill Children's Church. If you have any questions, let me know. Thank you. So um, let's just jump right into it. Let's turn together in our Bibles to uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and when you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is The True Grace of God. It's part 2, and what Paul truly taught about grace. But Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, the scriptures say, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And you may be seated. So last week we started a sermon series about the true grace of God. And we saw that the main reason that the Apostle Peter 
wrote his two letters was to prevent a problem in the church. The false teachers had slipped into the church and were teaching man's false grace message. So by twisting Paul's letters and the other scriptures, false teachers were turning God's grace into a license for immorality. Did they claim that God's grace allows him to accept us no matter what we do, no matter how we live our lives? And sadly, this problem has become much worse in our day. Preachers stand in pulpits every Sunday in America and around the world, and they spew out that same false grace message. And you can see this all over, all over the internet, internet on blogs, on, on all these different sites that you go to, to uh, YouTube, all these videos. All these people put out all these things, and it's, uh, it's preaching this false grace message. And they also use proof text from Paul's letters, like the one we just read, to supposedly prove that that their grace message is true. So today I want to talk about two truths Paul, Paul teaches us about grace so that we can know what Paul truly taught about God's grace. Let's pray. Holy Father, we ask you to illuminate our hearts and our minds. Give us an understanding, a true understanding of your grace. And through your all-holy good and life-giving spirit, give us the will and the ability not only to learn about grace, but to obey the gospel through your grace. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. So the first truth Paul teaches us about God's grace is God's grace is divine energy. Now most of us, most of us have been taught that God's grace is God's unmerited or undeserved favor. If you've heard that before, just raise your hand real quick. Just For those who aren't listening, most of us have been taught that God's grace is God's unmerited or undeserved favor. Now if you've heard that before, just raise your hand. So we got a couple more. So we're taught that uh, grace is how God bestows benefits on humanity and gives us what we don't deserve. But grace is so much more than that. So when we look at the context where grace is used in the scriptures, we see that, especially for Paul, grace is God's incomparably great power or God's divine energy at work in God's people. It's God's grace that changes us. It's God's grace that conforms us to the image of Christ. It's God's grace that fills us with all the goodness and the fullness of God and enables us to live a godly life as we share in the divine nature in Christ. Paul teaches that God's grace is divine energy. That's God's grace that Paul has in mind in Colossians 1.29 when he says, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So Paul strenuously fought as he struggled for the saints in prayer. But Paul did not fight in his own strength. Paul fought with the divine energy of Christ powerfully working in him. And that's grace. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 3, 7, where he writes, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. So it was the gift of God's grace, the working of God's divine power in Paul that enabled Paul to be a minister of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul tells us more about this, where he says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So Paul says it was the grace of God that made him an apostle of Christ. And Paul also says he worked harder than anybody else 
to fulfill his apostolic ministry. You know, it's estimated that Paul traveled over 10,000 miles on foot and established 14 churches in modern-day Greece, Turkey, and Syria. Now, how did Paul do all this? Well, Paul says it was not him who worked, but instead it was the energizing grace of God that made Paul who he was as an apostle. The grace of God in Paul effectively energized Paul to work harder than anyone else in advancing the kingdom of God. And the same grace that energized and empowered Paul to be a faithful apostle, well, that same grace energizes and empowers all of God's people to live lives worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. As Paul says in Colossians 1, 10 through 11, he he prays for the saints to be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. So as God's people come to know God's will for us and understand God's grace, but we're strengthened with God's power, by God's glorious might, by the divine energy that God gives us through His glorious grace. And by grace, we're able to live a life that's worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. So Paul taught that God's grace is God's power at work in God's people. It's energizing us to live lives that are worthy of the Lord and live lives that please the Lord in every way. God's grace is divine energy. So that's the first truth that Paul teaches about God's grace. But unless we understand a second truth Paul teaches about God's grace, well, the divine energy of God's grace will never be effective in our lives. So Paul also teaches us God's grace requires human synergy. And what this means is we must cooperate with God for his energizing grace to have any effect in our lives. God's grace is all that we need to live a life that's worthy of Him. And God will save us through His grace, but only if we learn to live in God's grace. See, we must work out in our lives what God works within us through His grace, as Paul says in Philippians 2, 12 to 13. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So I want you to notice that Paul tells us here that obedience is a part of salvation. Obedience is a part of salvation. He says, as you have always obeyed, now much more, continue to work out your salvation. So we're not going to be saved unless we obey God. That's what Paul teaches us here. So the saints in Philippi had always obeyed God, and they needed to continue to obey God. And how did they do this? Well, it's through God's energizing grace that was powerfully at work within them. See, it was God who gave them both the will and the ability to fulfill God's good purpose for them in Christ. But God would not force them to do His will. They needed to cooperate with God by working out, by doing the works that God's grace gave them the ability to do. And it's the same with us. Through His grace, God will save us and give us everything we need to live a godly life. God's grace will give us both the will 
and the ability to fulfill God's good purpose for us. And what's God's good purpose for us is to do the good works that God created us to do in Christ Jesus. That God's power is available to all of us, but we've got to learn to live in that power. Now, Paul dives deeper into this aspect of God's grace in Titus 2.11. And it's here that we gain an understanding of what Paul meant in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, when he said, we are saved by grace. Now, when you read Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 by itself, you could come to all kinds of different conclusions. But when you see how close Titus 2 and Ephesians 2 are to one another, you'll see that Paul meant the same thing in both of these passages. So in Titus 2.11, Paul says, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So we see we're talking about salvation and grace, just like he did back in Ephesians. The grace of God appeared when God sent his son to be the savior of the world through his death, his life, his death, his resurrection. And now through his son, God offers salvation to all people. Salvation from sin, salvation from Satan, salvation from death, and salvation from destruction. That all of humanity can choose to learn to live by God's grace through faith and be saved. And Paul goes on in Titus 2.12 to explain what this saving grace looks like. Paul says, grace teaches us. And then Paul goes on to tell us two lessons we all must learn if we're going to live by God's grace and be saved. First, grace teaches us to leave our life as sinners. Titus 2.12, Paul says, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. So when we truly understand the power of God's grace at work within us, we know that we have all the power that we need to say no to any and all sin. I'm going to say this again. When we know that we have all the power we need to say no to any and all sin. We have the power to break free from every addiction. We have the power to overcome every temptation. See, for a long time, Satan and his ministers have been convincing people that Christians are still slaves to sin. All that we can ever hope for is just to be forgiven, but we'll never be free from it until we die, right? People teach us this. They teach us that we cannot get victory over our vices, that we're powerless to overcome our passions, and that ungodliness and being trapped by temptation are a normal part of the Christian life. But that's just not true. Temptation is a normal part of the Christian life. We're all going to be tempted. But giving in to temptation is not a normal part of the Christian life. Because God's grace is available to strengthen us, to be victorious over every temptation. And this is one of my favorite Bible verses. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So you notice Paul says your temptation and my temptation, whether well, or not unique. And how often have we thrown pity parties for ourselves and excused our own sins because we claim nobody really gets us, right? Nobody's ever been tempted like us. No, we should stop telling ourselves those lies. Because God assures us that he will never allow us to face any temptation that other human beings have not faced. 
And even better than that, when we're God's children and when we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, well, God assures us we'll never face any temptation that we cannot bear. And that means that we don't have to give in to any temptation because we serve a faithful God who himself will always provide us a way out of every temptation. The temptation can be strong, but God's grace makes us much stronger. The way out of every temptation is the same for every child of God. It doesn't matter what you're tempted by. The way to live free from the control of any sin and the way to live free from all addiction and overcome every temptation is to just say no. Just say no. It's not any more complicated than that. So Satan comes and tells you, don't you want to go over here and do this thing that you're not supposed to be doing? What do you say to him? Just say no, right? Your old flesh rises up and says, we want to go back and look at this thing again and we're not supposed to be looking at it. What do you say? Just say no, right? It's really that simple. We try to complicate it and make it harder than it truly is, but it's just as simple as saying no to temptation, and we can do that through God's grace. See, that's what grace teaches us to do. That's what grace empowers us to do. That the energizing power of the almighty God, the all-faithful God, is always available to us to keep us from giving in to any temptation. Through God's grace, we have the power to say no to all ungodliness. We have the power to say no to every worldly passion. And God's grace teaches God's people to leave our life as sinners behind and to go in the power of God and sin no more. Sin no more. Can somebody write a song and put those lyrics in it, please? Go and sin no more. This is what Jesus told that's what Jesus told this, the, what was the, the, adult, the woman called in adultery, right? What did he tell her? Go and sin no more. Nobody condemns you. Go and sin no more. That's what we need to understand. This is what Christianity is about. It's about leaving a life of sin behind. We don't want to do the things that we did in the past, and we have the power of God to enable us to stop doing those things, to go and sin no more. But God's grace not only teaches us to leave one life behind, God's grace also teaches us how to live a new life in Christ. And that's the second lesson we learn from God's grace. God's grace teaches us to live our life as saints. In the second part of Titus 2.12, Paul says, grace teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So as we learn to live in the power of God's grace, we learn to live as God lives. We learn to be self-controlled, and through God's divine power at work in us, we will learn to control our temper, control our tongue. And that's one of the biggest ones for all of us. We don't know how to control our tongues, right? James talked about that. It's an unruly thing. It's set on, and then it's uh, set on fire by the, or something to do with hell. Anyway, yeah, set on fire by the fires of hell. Our tongue is something we all need to learn to tame. And we can do that through God's grace. Through God's grace, we can learn to control our passions, control our pleasures, control our deeds and our desires. God's grace teaches and empowers us to be self-controlled in all areas of our lives. Sadly, though, uh, most Christians aren't known for our self-control. Is that correct? We're just as out of control as the world around us, and we make it all God, the God understands, God understands. And then that's where people bring God's grace into it and say, well, God's grace has got me covered on that. Well, God's grace don't got you covered on that. God's grace tells you to stop doing that. That's what God's grace gives you the power to do, right? So we should all, and I'm not I'm just talking to you, I'm talking to myself as well. We need to be self-controlled in everything. 
We can't go out lashing out at people with our tongues. We can't go out doing and living the kind of lives that the people around us live and think that we're okay with God. We're not. We've got to turn from those things and live by God's grace. So as we learn to live by God's grace, we'll also learn to live upright lives, not just self-control, but upright lives. And this means that we'll strive with all the energy that God so powerfully works in us to do what we know is right. I hear people all the time say, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Well, why can't you do it? If we know what's right, why can't we do what's right? Again, those are lies of Satan that tell us we can't do what God tells us to do. We can't obey God. Just not true. We can obey God by His grace. See, when we live an upright life, we'll love God and we'll love our neighbors ourselves. We'll be careful to maintain good works. We'll strive to treat others how we want them to treat us. And all this is possible when we learn to live by God's grace. And finally, when we learn to live by God's grace, we'll live godly lives. Now, this, the Greek word for godly here means religiously. We'll live religious lives. See, grace teaches us to learn and live out the beliefs and practices of the Christian faith. So we learn how to think about God, how to approach God in prayer, how to worship God in spirit and in truth. And we learn how to serve the one true God through our Lord Jesus Christ and His church. Now, only the Christian faith gives us access to God's grace that enables us to live like God. God's glorious grace at work within us teaches us to say what God would say, teaches us to do what God would do, and with us working out what God's divine energy works within us, we will become like the Lord Jesus Christ in our words, in our thoughts, and in our works. See, that's the true grace of God. That's the only kind of grace that brings salvation. And that's the kind of grace that Paul's talking about in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. See, the gospel tells us that God offers us salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just salvation from eternal torment in the age to come. It's not just salvation from death in the age to come. No, it's salvation from Satan's power in the present age. It's salvation from the power of sin in the present age. God's grace teaches us to leave our lives as sinners so we can learn to live our lives as saints through the all-surpassing power of God at work within us so that we can learn to do God's will on earth as is done in heaven. As Paul says in Titus 2.14, Jesus gave himself for us in order to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. See, Jesus gave his life to redeem us, to free us from all lawlessness. So whatever sin you can name, well, Jesus gave his life to free you from it, he gave his life to free me from it. Jesus gave his life to give us the power to leave our life as sinners. And Jesus gave his life to make us his very own people. What that means is we belong to Jesus, and those who belong to Jesus are a people who are zealous for good works. And through the power of God's grace, we learn to avoid ungodliness and worldly passions, and we learn to zealously pursue upright and godly lives, where doing good works becomes our passion. And that's what Paul truly taught about God's grace. But before we close, I want to go back to the passage we started with, where in Ephesians, Paul said, we're saved by grace through faith, not from ourselves, not from our own works, but as a gift from God. 
So when we read the context of those verses, we see Paul taught the same thing in Ephesians that he taught in Titus. So I want to read those, the, that verse, those verses in context. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, Paul says, You were made alive when you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the children of disobedience. We also once lived among them in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the fallen flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, for his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and made us to sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, that no one would boast. And here's the most important part of all of these verses. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before that we would walk in them. See, Paul says we were dead in our transgressions and sins, in which we once walked when we lived our lives as sinners. We walked according to the course of this world. We followed the spirit of Satan who is at work in all the children of disobedience. But when we were dead and we could do nothing to save ourselves, well, God did something to give us life. God's grace appeared. And God made us alive. God energized us through his grace. He raised us up together with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. And Paul had just talked about this back in Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. And there Paul prayed that the Ephesians would experience the exceeding greatness of God's power toward us who believe, according to his power and might which he accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him to sit at his right hand in the heavenly places. See, this is what Paul means when he says we're saved by grace in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. That we're saved by the same energizing power of God that raised Christ from the dead, made us alive with him, and seated us with Christ at God's right hand in the heavenly places in Christ. So far from giving us a license for immorality, Paul taught that God's grace is divine energy. God's all-surpassing power at work in God's people, enabling us to live lives that are worthy of God. Paul also taught God's grace requires human synergy. People act as if God is going to drag us kicking and screaming into heaven because his grace has got a hold of us and he's never going to let go of us. It's just not true. It's not true. And if you're sitting here today thinking, oh, I'm good, God's grace has got me, and you're just living how you want to live, this is the wake-up call. You're not going to make it into heaven. You're not going to make it into God's presence unless you cooperate with God's grace and work out what God works within us through his grace. So we got to learn to obey God. we got to learn to leave our life as sinners and to live our life as saints. And as we walk daily in the power of God's grace, we will live free from the control of sin and fervently pursue the good works that God created us to do in Christ. That's what Paul truly taught about God's grace. So let me say, away with all those who teach something different than this, okay? Away with those who tell us that Paul teaches that we can sin and do everything we want to do, that we cannot outsend the grace of God. Those people don't know what they're talking about. 
And if you listen to those people and support them on the radio and things like this, I advise you to stop because you're sharing in their wicked works when you listen to them and when you support them. Let's not do that anymore. These people are wolves in sheep's clothes who are dragging people into hell, and we need to avoid them. And you need to, be, need to be warned about them, which is what we're doing today. The true grace of God makes people holy. It makes people like God. It makes people want to live as Jesus lived and do the works that Jesus did. That's the true grace of God, and that's the grace that Paul taught. All right, let's all stand for prayer. Lord, we thank you for your grace, for your incomparably great power, your all-surpassing energy for us who believe. Lord, we ask you to keep filling us with, with wisdom and understanding. Give us the, that understanding from the Holy Spirit so we may know and live lives worthy of you in every way, that we bear fruit in every good work, that we grow in the knowledge of God, and we do this all by your glorious grace. We thank you for hearing our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so they're going to sing a final song. As they do that, I want to invite anybody who wants to come forward and pray to, you're welcome to come forward. You can come up and pray by yourselves. There will be people also on the sides to, to pray with you if you would like that. Um, always remind you at the end of this service, uh, James tells us that if we're sick, we should call for the elders of the church, have the elders of the church anoint people with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith makes sick people well, or they will be healed. And then James says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So at the end of service, we always like to invite anybody who wants, needs physical healing or spiritual healing. You can come forward. We'll be up here to, to, um, to pray for you. Confess your sins. Get that sin out of your life. Get that away from you so you can be healed. God promises he'll do that. So do, as they sing this song, I, I, I want to invite all of you to do that. If you have a question about something I've said, I'll be available afterwards. If you don't know the Lord today and you want to know how to know the Lord, then again, I'll be available afterwards to talk about that. So they're going to sing a final song. Before they do that, I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you all. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Rising up.